You're listening to Pair of Programmers. I'm Christopher Wolf, And I'm John Fisher. In the show, we explore different topics that software developers encounter in their careers. The format of the show is that one of us researches a topic, and the other reacts with insights from their experience. Tweet us at Podcast to send us topics you'd like to hear discussed. Today's episode is about CSS and modern layouts. John's done the research this week, and I'll react with my experience. John, what'd you find out? Yeah, so we got a lot to talk about here. Um, So much, I think, that we're going to probably split this apart into two separate episodes. This is part one. Uh, We're going to cover the history of CSS um, and just the selectors. Um, So If you already know CSS and you're familiar with what it does, how to use it, um, skip ahead to part two. Part two, we're going to cover, um, and that's that'll be a, a separate episode. Um, part two, we're going to cover CSS versus um, the kind of extensions on top of that, SCSS, SAS, and less, uh, as well as media queries, layouts, that's uh, Flexbox and Grid we'll talk about. And then we'll touch a little bit on some component libraries, as well as some concepts in material design. Um, anytime you go to a web page, you're looking at a HTML document. One of the first tags that you're going to see um, when you open a HTML document is the HTML tag itself. And that basically just means this is the document starting. Next, you're going to run into a body tag, which is really like the kind of like the body of the page itself doesn't include any of like the metadata or anything like that. And then, and then some other native elements that you're going to see within the body tag are like, for instance, div, which is the, the basic HTML container. And so that, and then you'll also, another one is P, which stands for paragraph that's meant to contain text and then table, which is used for displaying tabular data and that sort of thing. And then there are also like a bunch of other. Um, there are a bunch of other like table elements like th and tr and td, um, and then there there are probably eh, maybe not hundreds, but at least tens of of these like native elements that you'll see anytime you open an HTML document. Marquee? Do you know about the marquee tag? <laughs> no, I don't. What is that? Oh, uh, this was back in the day. The marquee tag would let you like scroll text across the screen. So oh n- yeah, nice. Or, uh, so there was that tag, and there was Blink. <laughs> I think it was called the Blink tag, but to Blink text. People uh, don't recommend you use those anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, one of the things that I was going to bring up is you can go to spacejam.com. Uh, have you ever been there? Mm-hmm. Uh, a long time ago. Yeah, right. Well, uh, let me, I should bring it up right now. <laughs> so, yeah, please do, because... Um, It'll provide some comic relief, I think. <laughs> um, oh, man. Yeah. So so SpaceJam.com has been unchanged since 1996. Um, it's kind of meant oh. as like a um, website artifact. I mean, it's perfect. What, what would you change about it? It's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect for 1996. But yeah, there are, there are lots of other... Um, you know, the, the background has like repeating stars on a black canvas, red text on top of that. So it's kind of hard to read. And um, yeah, there's probably like a marquee mm-hmm. in there scrolling somewhere and, and blinking text. Um, it's just a little like it's not quite as clean as <laughs> today's websites are. 
Um, <laughs> right. But yeah, so um, we'll get into the history of CSS in a bit. But some other... So each of those native elements, table, div, that sort of thing, you can style each of those. And so um, you can set properties like height and width, color, uh, background color. Uh, yeah, so color is actually the color of the text. And then there's also background color um, and then like font mm -hmm. style and things like that and font family. So really anything... You can make text bold, you can make it bigger, you can make it smaller, you can italicize it, all that kind of stuff. So that is all of the like native elements and their and their properties. Chris, did I, did I miss anything so far? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, so how do you actually apply the style to all of these yeah. elements? Like what are some different ways right. you can do so, that? So um, you can, the, the first most basic way is to do it in line where you provide a attribute on the element, say style, yeah, style equals, and then um, double quotes. And then inside of those double quotes, you provide your um, properties. So you say style equals double quote width colon 300 pixels. And then that element's width will mm -hmm. be set to 300 pixels. And you can also in there set color colon pound FFF or something. Um, so that's meant to, those hex codes are meant to represent colors. And then follow it by a semicolon, mm -hmm. and that semicolon is your separator between the um, attribute values. So that's that's the most basic way. Um, but then you can also um, give elements classes. So on any element, for instance, a div, um, you would just say um, open tag div um, space class equals and, and then it was something like my class. And then within your CSS file, mm -hmm. uh, which we'll get into, you would have a, um, a line that says dot, uh, dot is meant to represent classes. Um, start, starting something with a dot is meant to represent class. So you'd say dot my class, open parentheses, and then within there you would say color colon red width um, colon 300 pixels always you know terminate it, each of those properties with a semicolon so yeah does, does that answer it that's right yeah and then uh i guess the kind of middle way to do it is in the html document in the head tag uh you can put a style Ooh, tag yeah yeah right up in the head and then like you were saying the same the same stuff you would put in a css file you could put in a style tag if you were brave uh well what out of those three, like what's kind of the preferred way you should do it? Like what uh, what are what are the pros and cons of? Oh, so option? oh man, we could this can go can go deep pretty quickly. <laughs> A very important concept within CSS, which I didn't have on the queue to talk about, um, but a very important topic is called encapsulation, um, which basically says, okay, I have these styles and like. A different part of my website might have one color um, for all of the span elements, um, but another one has a different color. Mm -hmm. Say one has red and one has blue. Um, and so within um, within a, any particular span, which of those two rules should apply? So if you do it in line, like the, the first way I mentioned, it's very specific. There can only be, you know, you're only modifying that single element. And actually, I think, 
Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think when you do that, it also modifies the child elements, right? Good question. Definitely if you do it like in the style tag or in the CSS file, I'm not sure. Well, then it must, yeah, yeah also do it for inline styles. Yeah. So what is what do the letters CSS right. stand so, for? So yeah, it stands for cascading style sheet. If, if I define something up at the body element, some style at the body element, that property um, is going to cascade all the way down through all of the child elements. So did did I I that was always my assumption, Chris? Is that a correct assumption? Well, I think that that's right, and then I think the wisdom that comes with that is to prefer putting things in CSS files for you know code organization's sake, but also like reuse uh, because yeah, like you were saying, if you are on a page where a span is colored a certain way, well, that's applying to the whole page. And so rather than, so the only way to overcome that is to do, yeah, an inline style or another class that's more specific than than the span rule in general. Uh, so yeah, I guess specificity is another concept in CSS. I think the other cascading part of it is like the order of your rules matter. So for instance, like if you had some class that applied a color and then later on in the CSS document, you reference that class again and change the color, like the last yep. rule would yep. apply yep. Good point. before the first one. I think it's much more common to put styles in CSS files and then associate those, basically like pull in, uh, I'll say import those files now, we'll get into frameworks a little bit later, um, and each of those frameworks kind of have their own way of associating styles with components. And that's really where you get into, some of them give you the control to set the encapsulation. So you can say, I've honestly had a really hard time with this. Like, I don't think no framework that I've used yet has really done it well. Um, but you can say, like, encapsulation mm -hmm. is... I forget what the different properties are, but um, basically, like, only apply these style sheets to my components and then, like, basically cascade down. Encapsulation lets you dictate, like, the scope of your CSS changes. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Well, I'll have some more thoughts to contribute when we talk about frameworks yeah. and libraries okay, later. So the next part of this um, is the history of CSS, which... For me, it was really interesting because I didn't know any of this, or I didn't know most of it. Mm -hmm. But CSS was first proposed by a guy, I'm going to totally butcher his name, um, a guy named Hakon Wiem Lee on October 10th, 1994. At that time, he was working with Tim Berners-Lee, who you might have heard of. Um, I didn't know this, um, but Chris and I both, both have um, astrophysics background, and so Chris, Tim Berners-Lee actually used to work at CERN. I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, me either. Um, That's cool. But, but he is kind of like the the father of, yeah, of the, I guess, of the internet. And so I would kind of give him the title of, like, father of the internet. Is that a fair title? Uh, yeah, actually, it says, best known as the inventor of the World Wide Web. Yeah, that's so, and I title. think he's um, been knighted, so it's like, that's pretty badass. Um, okay, yeah, so that's Tim Berners-Lee, and 
Another guy that came up in my research of the history was Bert Boss. Um, and it just said that he was an influential designer of uh, CSS and is regarded as one of its co-creators, kind of along with Tim Berners-Lee. Okay, so um, nice. then Tim Berners-Lee started uh, W3C, the World Wide Web Consortium, uh, in 1994, and that was after he left CERN. And then, so regarding the CSS, the proposal to standardize styling um there was an alternative proposal um something called javascript style sheets or jsss Um, but that specification was never finished and it was dropped and instead css was adopted as the official standard in 1996 gotcha i'll have to look into that yeah javascript style sheets I, so that to me is like such an oxymoron. I don't know if this was like not as well separated or like thought out at that time, but um, like JavaScript is is has nothing to do with the display, right? Um, it is just like the processing that goes on within a web page. The display is really limited to HTML. Um, and then CSS is the styling for that display. So I'm, I'm not sure really how a JavaScript style sheets like to me that name just sounds like an oxymoron. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. I'll have to research it. Like I'm looking at the Wikipedia article now, and yeah, <laughs> no, I can see it. <laughs> um, because you can, you know, you can change the style of things through JavaScript now. I mean, maybe right. this wasn't possible back in the day, and that this was right, right, one right. attempt to get there. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So another, well, not another. Um, W3C, the World Wide Web Consortium, ran into a number of problems that they had to address when coming up with these um, with the standard. Um, and so one of the interesting historical problems that they ran into was um, CSS files have a .css extension, um, but that was actually used um, by some other software to convert to convert PowerPoint presentations into something called a compact slideshow. Um, and so a lot of web servers, when requesting .css files, um, they would return the MIME type, which is like the, mm-hmm. the type of response that you're getting back. They would return that as application slash X dash point plus, <laughs> which I had never heard of before. But but um, <laughs> any sort of client needs to know what kind of um, response format to be expecting um, when they make a call. And so if if right. a, if a server mm-hmm. responds to you saying, oh, you're going to get this one type and you actually receive something else. Um, or something different than you're expecting, then there's you're going to choke on that. So that was one of the issues they had to resolve. So the specification has been continually uh, maintained and updated. So this whole time it's been uh, maintained and updated by the W3C, um, World Wide Web Consortium. And we are now on specification CSS3. Um this is this was okay. confusing and interesting for me. Um, CSS three isn't actually a single specification document, but it's split into a bunch of different modules. Um, and this 
Mm-hmm. So reading through the research, it's very confusing, and I imagine other people are confused too. Hopefully, it's not just me. Um, but especially with regard to CSS4, which is not really the up-and-coming new standard, um, but because CSS3 is split into all these different modules, um, they're making like modifications on top mm-hmm. of those specific aspects of the modules. Um, so specification okay. changes mm-hmm. um, for something like CSS4 have come as early as 2007, um, but no single standard exists yet. Gotcha. So these individual modules, do the browsers have to like then support, you know, these specifications That's, individually, yeah, so I guess? Then, I, don't, I don't know. And um, listeners, if you have a better answer for me or can explain this better to me, um, that would be really helpful. But as far as I can tell, um, there's there's no real like standard and there's no requirement for like browsers to support the different things that have been kind of added on top of CSS3 as far as like any specific standard goes. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and wondering. I'm wondering too, because I still, I feel like I don't still have a good grasp of that. Um, but, you know, mm-hmm. some browsers have gotten really hard. Um... Everyone just <laughs> needs to use Chrome. That's right. The, I mean, I love right. Chrome, um, but <laughs> my mom still that... uses Internet Explorer. Actually, I, I did get her off of that. So, um, but she used to use Internet Explorer. And. Um, <laughs> We have an application. Nice. My parents use Fire- Firefox sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, but only sometimes. <laughs> um, we have a few really old <laughs> applications that work that um, they're just internal tools, but they have um, checks in place that force you um, to use uh, micro- um, Microsoft Internet Explorer. Um, so, like, if you try to open it, even if you try to open it in, oh, like, man. Edge or something, it'll say, like, nope, this, we, we only support Internet Explorer. <laughs> so, it's a it's a pretty old application. <laughs> um, yeah, ouch. Ouch. Um, okay, but, and so, there's been rumor lately that um, the W3 Consortium, that there's a, there's a community group um, that's been established in in the early parts of this year, 2020, um, to discuss and define basically a new standard or like a new resource or something. Um, For the time being, though, there's just like documentation online um, that research uh, that developers can, you know, figure out what is and what is not supported. Um, For instance, the caniuse.com website Mm -hmm. um, lets you like analyze all of the different um, like element attributes and all that kind of stuff that is and is not supported by the different browsers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, I think um, I think Chrome obviously is does a good job of leading support for newer technologies, uh, Firefox too, and then Internet Explorer not so much. So, yeah, if you're unfortunately still having to support that or edge i guess edge uh recently actually i don't know if you heard this or not they switched to yep. using chromium yep. the chromium engine which is chrome's the same engine that chrome would use uh so that's that's pretty 
interesting and I guess good for, you know, bringing more consistency to right. people's yep. user experiences. So, um, before I start this, if you are new to CSS and, and web design, or even if you're not, um, and, and you haven't been here before, check out w3schools.com. Um, it's a great, they provide you basically like a playground, um, to like test out how the different, um, styling attributes and all that kind of stuff work. Um, they provide pretty good examples and documentation on what different stuff means. Okay, let's talk about the different selectors. Um, so within a CSS file, um, you can you can only you can only you apply styling to elements. But you can ask the question like for any style, um, how what element is it applying to? And for that, you use mm -hmm. what's called selectors. And so you can have um, ID selectors, which says each element not each element, but elements can have a single ID. Um, and that ID has, should be unique within your HTML document. Um, mm -hmm. And then each element can also have a list of classes, um, which are just separated by spaces. So you say within your HTML, you say class equals double quote, um, class one space class two. Um, and then you can also have selectors that are like the element themselves. Um, so if you want to make mm -hmm. styling changes to all div elements, let's say you want all of your div elements to have a padding of five pixels, then you just say mm -hmm. um, div space curly bracket, and then that that div is your selector, and then you'll you'll apply the styling within those curly brackets. We'll talk about that mm -hmm. in a second. Yeah, common common use case for selecting a whole element might be if you want to set the font of mm -hmm. the whole document you would yep. use the body element and yep. say font family equals whatever or equals colon whatever and uh, font size colon whatever uh, so that's a common use case for selecting an entire element like that yep yep and you can i think less commonly used um, but you can also set uh, attribute elements so this is where you would say like any mm -hmm. element that has an attribute of um, you know this thing um, apply the following styles to it um, and then there are a bunch of there are a bunch of selectors um, but those are some of the most common ones and then I'd also just say that you can provide um, star is a valid selector it basically just says select everything gotcha um, so some additional selectors, these are kind of like more nuanced, but they can be really powerful, um, is the colon colon before and colon colon after. Mm -hmm. um, that lets you um, append content to elements. So you can say like, let's say you want to any, any element that has a class of... Um, warning right so you have a warning class then you would say dot warning colon colon after and then um, curly bracket and then within there let's say um, you can like provide content so in there you could provide like the little like warning icon um, mm, and so then sense. with all of your warning classes you would get that additional warning icon as the content after uh, the element class uh, does that did that does that make sense? Did I explain that okay? Yeah, I think that's a great example. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, there's also a colon focus, um, which says that, um, let's say you have a, I don't know, let's say you have an animal class, and any time you hover over an animal, um, you want it to you want it to apply some background color of, of green. Mm-hmm. So you would say colon, hover, um, and then, you know, the curly brackets, and then background color, colon, green, uh, semicolon. Mm-hmm. So and then Makes anytime sense. you move your mouse over that animal element, it's going to, you know, change to have a background color of green. You can also have a, a focus um, selector as well, which means that, like, if you've clicked on it, um, and it's like the current focus, um, then you can, you know, apply styling with that too. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I think those are called pseudo selectors when yeah. you have a colon, colon like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually, I actually failed. Well, I didn't fail, but I got that in an interview, uh, one time the interviewer asked me, do you know what pseudo selectors are? And I was like, no. <laughs> and then he told that's me later. That's such a specific question. <laughs> but like a better, I mean, a better question would be like, how do you, um, how do you change the background of something when you hover over it? Then you could be like, right. oh yeah, yeah, of course you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He told me afterwards what it was and I was like, well, no, I've used those before. I just didn't know that's what they were called. <laughs> yeah. And that's why we listen to podcasts. <laughs> that's right. Um, another pseudo selector is called nth child. Um, and then you provide mm. a number. Um, wh- so that's interesting. I w- is Chris, do you know, it, would nth child be considered a pseudo selector as well? Um, it does have a colon before it, um, but it's actually, it's more like a mix in, which we'll talk about later because it's basically a, a function. It, it takes a parameter. Um, yeah, I think anything with a colon, I am pretty sure is a pseudo selector. Yeah. Because okay. you're, um, I don't know. I might be wrong, but I think that's right. No, I, I think that, um, I think that's right. What's interesting about nth child is it doesn't have to be just a number. You can give it uh, an expression, so you can say odd or even. Yeah, um, right. And so you might use that for like a table to like apply different background colors to each row of the table to make it easier to read or something like that. Yep. Yeah, I'm looking at an example now that says. P colon nth child 3n plus 0, um, which basically means that every every third element you're going to apply the style in for. Every, I'm sorry, every third uh, paragraph element you're going to apply the style in for. Nice. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, okie dokie. So, oh man, we could... Let's let's um, we're gonna move a little bit quicker here. <laughs> um, All right, sounds good. So uh, pro pro tip, I have uh, this listed. Uh, doing my research, I was um, using something called um, VS Code, which I love. I use all the time. Um, but if you hover over um, your selector classes, it will show you um, like what. It will give you a like markup example of um elements that you that your class that you are hovering over will be affected by um so if you have like yeah it's really cool um and it's like it's crystal clear exactly like 
what what it is you're changing uh, which can be confusing because like some of these are there are a few gotchas here that i'll mention um and yeah i mean it's not the most obvious syntax um, right but it's like a real it's a real example from the later part of the document no 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 so it's just oh, okay. um well yeah i mean kind of um, so if I go into VS Code, I think I have it open right now. Um, I have some pound John plus P. And now pound is the ID selector. So this says select any element where the ID is John. Um, and then the plus, which we'll get into in a second, um, basically says any sibling element that follows immediately after the whatever the thing was previously. So this style, it's, it's showing me now if I have an element, any element where the ID is John, and then I have a following P select, uh, a following paragraph element, the styling will apply to that. And it shows you like element ID John P. Um, so you can really see like what it is that you're actually changing. Hmm. Nice. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about classes. So classes are prefixed with a um, with a dot. Um, so if you have a class in your HTML, class is my class. Um, and then you can do within your CSS file, you write dot my class, and then, you know, you're following and you're styling after that. So you can combine selectors as well. You can say s1 um, where just like S1 is any element or class or anything. Um, S1.class, uh, and that will say, give me all of the S1 elements, whatever they are. Um, give me all the S1 elements with the class of um, like my class. So you say S1.myClass. Give me all the S1 elements with a class of my class. Now, um, this is one of the gotchas. Um, White space doesn't matter for most of these uh, selectors when you combine them, but in this one case, it actually does. Um, so if you say s1 space dot my class, and that's going to give you all of the my class elements inside of the s1 elements. Um, mm -hmm. So so before it was give me all of the s1 elements with this class, but because I put a space in there. It says like okay, like now we're looking for my class elements that are children of that S one. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay, so now we're going to talk about three other um, important selectors um, and like how to use them when in combination with each other. So you say S one space right caret or like the greater than sign um, S two. That means give me all of the S2 elements where S1 is the immediate parent. The greater than sign is uh, select the immediate children. So when you have a space between your selectors, that then it could be anywhere. So I actually tested this out because I was really curious about, like, there was clearly a difference between the space in the dot class example. So surely there would be a difference in when you're using the greater than or the plus or the tilde, which we'll talk about in a second. But there's not. <laughs> in that case, the white space doesn't matter. Oh, sorry. I mean, uh, so like in your previous example where you had a space between the two selectors, oh, yeah. the S1 and the dot class. Yep. In that case, it's anywhere, 
where that class is a child of an S1. Like it could be a grandchild, a great-grandchild. Yes, right. Good point. Yeah. Whereas with the greater than sign, it has to be an immediate parent, right? Yep. Yep. Good point. Yeah. Um, okay, so then, so that was the greater than sign. The next one is the plus sign. Um, so let's say you have S1 uh, plus S2. That means get any S2 elements that come immediately after S1. So not, we're not talking about parent-children here. We're talking about siblings. Um, so gotcha. if you have S1 plus S2, S2 elements that come immediately after S1. Um and then the, the next uh, and final main one uh, is the tilde, which is S1 tilde, S2. And this is another gotcha. There's a subtle difference between the tilde and the plus, um, whereas the plus um, says give me the elements uh, that come immediately after um, S1. And so you for any S1, there's only one matching S2 element that's going to match there. Um, whereas the tilde says, um, give me any S2 elements that come after S1. So both of them are related to sibling, but the tilde gives you the ability to, you know, capture multiple uh, siblings. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And is that, um, you said you were playing around with these. Did you play with that one? Like, is it, they have to have the same parent? Like, is that, like, um, when you when you say it, elements that come after but they still have to be siblings and that they share the same parent yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so okay so gotcha. let's say i have a um my class and then i have um so let's say i have the css combined selector of dot my class uh tilde p so that means that look that means look for the my class element um, and then if there if that my class element has siblings um, that come after s1 apply this following style to all of those um, sibling elements gotcha whereas the if I have that same scenario with the plus it would be uh, my class plus p um, if you have, you know, one my class element followed by five children P elements, it's only going to capture that first one. Gotcha. Makes sense. I'm just trying to think of like a use case. I've never actually used these sibling selectors. Have you used them? I think a few times. Um, mostly it's just like I'm looking for a solution to something and I look it up online and then I copy and paste some code that I don't <laughs> understand, which listeners don't do that. Uh <laughs> Do as I say, not as I do. Programmers would never do that. Just copy paste the <laughs> code they find on the internet. <laughs> never. <laughs> never. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll see you next time. See ya.